from This Is King. I'm joined today uh, by my friends and fellow podcasters, Taya Johnston and Jen Peterson, and I'm Lexi Fima. Today we're going to talk about Need to Know, the 10th episode of Season 4. It originally aired on December 5th, 1986, and it was both filmed and shown 10 out of 22. The director for this episode is Dennis Duckwall. We've talked about him before in various capacities, but this is the first time we're talking about him as the director. To be honest with you online, there's very little personal information available. And I know some of the Scarecrow fans are friends with him on Facebook, so I don't know how much personal information he shares there, but as far as like IMDb or just a general Google search, there's very little, not even his birth date or anything like that. So Scarecrow Mrs. King is actually his only directing credit. He directed this one, Need to Know, and then the other episode is Mission of Gold. He has nine producer credits. The most is probably no surprise with Scarecrow and Mrs. King at 61 overall. He also produced a series called The Magnificent and She Spies. And again, there's nothing else really of note about Dennis on the web. Hey, by the way, Bruce was in She Spies as well. So there you go. There was that connection. Very cool. Love that. On to the writers. Uh, So we've talked about this duo before, Joan Brooker and Nancy Edo. Um, Specifically, they wrote season two's A Relative Situation. Um, They seem to focus their writing talents mainly on TV series, and other credits included The Love Boat and Full House. Also, for some reason, when I was reading about uh, that they were the writing pair for A Relative Situation, I feel like we just recorded that episode, and I don't know why, it just like really hit me like how far we've come um in all these recordings because that seems like it was so recent um but it really wasn't it was like years ago at this point that we recorded it so ah good times good times time flies when you're having fun Lex (laughs) oh yes yeah (laughs) again I can't emphasize this enough it's gonna it's gonna be great to look back on this experience but I'm looking forward to looking back on it oh god On to the guest stars. The first one I'll talk about today is Rip Hutton. He had 172 total acting credits, and he plays the security guard in this episode. He was born in November 1955 in San Antonio, Texas. And some fun facts about Rip is that he is a tall guy. He's 6 feet 2 inches, and he's a Sagittarius. And, uh, surprisingly enough, he starred in a series of Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials in the early to mid-1990s as Russ Beeler, a fictional owner of the KFC franchise restaurant. He's had numerous TV show appearances and is perhaps most well-known for playing Gordon on the TV show Tribes, which was an after-school soap opera for teens in 1990 for 95 episodes. Um, He also played Dr. Ron Welch on Doogie Howser MD for 17 episodes from 89 to 93. Um, He was listed several times as additional voices um, for the movies Curious George, The Princess and the Frog, Rio, Rio 2, Hotel Transylvania, and several others. Other notable works of riffs include uh, time spent on The Jeffersons, Remington Steel, Knott's Landing, Hunter, Sister, Sister, Star Trek Generations, Home Improvement, Babylon 5, uh, Family Matters, The Mentalist, NCIS, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and like literally so much more. Um, he is still active and was actually introduced on General Hospital this year in 2021 as a recurring character named Lenny Caulfield for 30 episodes. 
He also has one project currently in post-production. The second guest star I'll talk about is Joseph Sommer. He has 102 acting credits, and he played Raoul Nesbitt in Need to Know. He was born in June 1924 in Germany, and um, some fun facts about him, he's also another really tall guy at six feet, three and a half inches. He actually shared like a pretty interesting quote about acting that I wanted to highlight. So he said, there are two things that go in a professional actor's life. The first is finding work, making a living, pursuing a career. The other is the art of acting. It's so easy to lose that in the urgency of a career. Sometimes the struggle is just staying active when you wish the struggle would be over great roles and great plays. I'm not sure you ever reconcile the two things. I guess you just remind yourself that acting is worthwhile because there's always potentially great work to be done. And although this is in the context of acting, I actually think it's a pretty good, um, like, I don't know, guide for general like jobs and careers and whatnot too because it's so easy to just get burned out especially in this you know day and age i think it's a very wise sentiment so i wanted to make sure to highlight that joseph actually made his broadway debut in 1970 and his first film debut in dirty harry in 1971 he also appeared in steven spielberg's close encounters of the third kind in 1977 and IMDb suggested that one of his most prolific credits was as Schaefer in Witness, where he played Harrison Ford's superior in 1985. In 1982, he appeared in two films with Meryl Streep, sharing scenes with her in Still of the Night and narrating her character story in Sophie's Choice. And then in 1983, they co-starred in Silkwood. Other notable works of Joseph's include the films The Mighty Ducks, Patch Adams, the Family Man, and X-Men Last Stand, among others. For TV, The Doctors, Hot House, Undercover, Ally McBeal, Law and Order SVU, and Criminal Intent, and many others. His last role on IMDb was from 2010, and he has since retired. I just realized who he is in Family Man. Um, you know that I dude. I can't believe I, that I saw. I've watched that movie. I wrote a. I wrote a Scarecrow story. You did uh, based off that that premise Cute. and I've seen that movie so many times in preparation for that alone but I also enjoyed the movie and I just realized who he was he was the boss in a family man oh my god that's crazy I suck at that of, of going oh that guy's from Scarecrow <laughs> a lot of his roles were in like superior like there was a couple of times he played presidents and bosses and like superiors so that that seemed to be um, yeah that yeah that he's definitely typecast I, I, for that the last two people are mentioned, we've already talked about before. Uh, the first is Michael Pataki. He has 177 acting credits. And in this episode, Need to Know, he plays Durstak, but he played Sir Deitch in season three's We're Off to See the Wizard. Um, since we already talked about him, I'll just mention that he was a Capricorn, born in January 1938, and passed away in April 2010. We talked about Joseph earlier, who's really tall. Michael was very short. He was only 5'6". The other person that I will mention is Richard Capius. He had 34 acting credits, and he was in three Scarecrow Mrs. King episodes. In Need to Know, he plays the bartender, um, but we first saw him in Three Faces of Emily, where he played an agent building the false wall, and then we'll see him again in the Khrushchev list. Um, since we already talked about him, I'll just mention that he was born in May 1949, and his last acting credit was in 1994. So that's what I've got for the guest stars. 
A newspaper publisher decides to make his own headlines by attempting to eliminate America's Star Wars program by destroying strategic medals. So for this episode, we have the shooting draft dated August 19th, 1986. And there are some differences and we'll go through those. The first of which being the beginning is very different. Um, I'll just, because a lot of it's, you know, it's just setting up the scene, but it's a, a deserted park. A scholarly looking man in his mid fifties hurries down the walkway, a newspaper tucked under his arm. This is Dr. Philip Eldridge. So if you guys remember, Eldridge doesn't come into the episode for quite a while until uh, he is walking on the street and Nesbitt comes up, pulls up in the vehicle and puts his window down and he's like, hey, and then throws out a Walkman with headphones and he plays it. He's blackmailing him, right? So this is very different how it begins. Eldridge says, my God, what a ridiculous costume because this guy has, he glances uneasily over his shoulder and continues toward a bench where an old gent hat low over his eyes and in an overcoat sits dozing. Eldred sits down at the opposite end of the bench. The old man stirs, sits up. As he does, we realize he's a much younger man. This is Gary Gunning. Now Gunning is the reporter. Remember with the big glasses? And the scarf. Yes, and the scarf. It says, note, he's wearing a distinctive pair of polo-like glasses, part of his constant attire, which is Robert Evans wore those kind of glasses, too, back in the 80s, uh, uh, 70s and 80s then, too. So Eldridge says, my God, what a ridiculous costume. Gunning says, it's for your protection, Dr. Eldridge. And Eldridge says, I hate this, all of it. Gunning says, you're a courageous man. Eldridge shoots Gunning a sharp look. Slides the paper across the bench to him. Eldridge says, I can't continue much longer. The stories are creating pressure. Gunning says, that's the point, doctor. The public has a right to know about the scandal and need to know. Eldridge shoots Gunning an uncertain look, then gets up and walks quickly away. Gunning unfolds the paper, pockets the envelope. He hides inside, heads in the opposite direction. As he hurries off, we see a man hidden in the bushes, watching the exchange through a pair of binoculars. This is Derek Fouts. We'll see him again. Very different setup than how the actual episode starts, which yeah. is perfect segue into that. It actually make a little bit more sense, though, to like set that up to begin with. Yeah, it, there's a lot of things that are different in this. Um, and this is, a, again, this is a shooting draft. So there's more differences than you would expect at this point in, in the script writing. Uh, so how the episode actually starts is we're at Albin Air, and they're looking at, and Fouts is in there, and he's looking at this missile. And these guys are in hazmat suits that I've not seen the likes of before. I don't know about you, Jen. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, so they have, a, they have a case that they're pulling, and it says U.S. Air Force. I think it's supposed to be like radioactive suits, but yeah. Yeah, yeah they're pretty uh, intense there. And blue. Also blue. I mean, typically a hazmat suit is very colorful. Like yellow, keep, bright yellow or something? To keep you away and to keep, you know, it seems to be cleaned or something afterwards. Right, sure right. What it is. They're looking at the these two other gentlemen who we will later find out are Dursek and Nesbitt. Uh, they are looking, watching far, far away because they don't want to be near that stuff. Those poor men are <laughs> probably exposed to all kinds of yucky stuff. 
how can that one missile destroy all the tritanium? He goes, your, your target is 200 feet underground, but the thermite warhead can burn through a 50-story building right into the basement. The plutonium combines with the molten metal uh, and makes it hotter than Chernobyl, which is pretty hot. Just a bit, just a bit, and twice as useless. And the free world stockpile of tritanium is gone, just like that. America's Star Wars defense will be a memory. So these guys are very bad. How soon can it be ready? I've, I've got to wait on the plutonium, I'd say six hours. Okay, so I have a question, Jen. When the guys are showing the, the dude the missile, they don't have their ma- their things on, aren't they? Like, isn't that exposing them right there? Or is it later that they get into the, the bad stuff? I don't know. They seem to be implying the bad stuff is buried in the, but the missile also should contain Yeah, something. and they're it's carrying, they're carrying itself. like those, that big tin and it <laughs> says radioactive and all that. And he's just carrying it with his helmet off and everything. <laughs> well, the other thing is, are they like joking around with us with the tritanium? Because isn't that, a, I, I, I was actually like, that's not a real mouse. So I'm like, okay, what is that? Doesn't it come from Star Wars? Was it or not Star Wars? Star Trek? Oh, I don't know. I'm not much of a Trekkie. I'm barely. I'm. I'm barely certain. I looked it up briefly, and um, it was from a planet on Star Trek that they pulled their like Star Destroyers out. You're right. Yes, I'm I'm planet Argus X. Yeah, I'm like. I'm like. Are they goofing around? Because. Yeah, they yeah, he, mentioned, he mentioned Star Wars. Like, he's like, and the U.S. or something. Oh, like, well, Star Wars was the defense. Yeah, yeah, but that's funny. That's funny. They're probably like about titanium or, or something out in the alloy, but they're saying tri- tritanium that way, and that's that fake, the fake, uh, metal that was in star trek so i just wanted yeah. to mess around with their fans see if it's gonna pick up on that like okay right. this is a theoretical metal and haha it's also one that was discussed it was star also in star trek haha <laughs> <laughs> from like the planet as you said like see what is it argus or something argus x argus, argus <laughs> that's x. funny Okay, so he says it can go through a 50-story building right into the basement. The plutonium compl- combines with the molten metal and becomes makes it hotter than, twice as hot as Chernobyl and makes it completely useless. So they're obviously doing some nefarious type things uh, because they want to... Nesbitt, it's, it's kind of weird because Nesbitt, we're to presume, is an American, right? And so it's not like he's from a different country like Dursak is, where Dursak's doing it to screw over the U.S., right? But Nesbitt's not really, he's not really uh, an enemy of the state, right? Well, he's going to be. Uh, he's not an enemy of the state. It, the only thing he has to gain here is money. So it's just greed. And a story, maybe. And a story, which, yeah, he's he's thinking it's going to make him bazillionaire. I hate when it's just money is the motivation. Like, give me something juicy. Like, I know, right? Like, You're just a greedy yeah, bastard. Like, Nesbitt, the, the newspaper yeah. guy. I thought he talks about his sort of theory about why he wants to stop Star Wars program and equalize all countries so that one is the taking control and, and not allowing others. So he does have a, a reason. Yeah, 
okay, but do you really, are you going to, are you going to have, are you going to commit treason to do that? Like, it's very, it's very thin. People, I mean, he clearly had, and we'll have, when we get there, we can talk about it, but he clearly had some feelings for why he wanted uh, America to not have sort of, because if you have the Star Wars Defense Program, no one else, everyone else is afraid to act or, or fire or do anything. So I have to, we'll have to watch that again, but yeah, it wasn't just money. I think there was another reason. All right. Well, there's your reason, Lex. <laughs> then as it is. <laughs> So uh, Dursak definitely uh, has a pill pill addiction there. He's like popping, uh, and it, he acts like they're the tiniest little things. He's like putting it in. It's obviously there. He's not putting anything in his into his mouth. Bad acting on that, for my point of view. Um, but like he's like putting in like um, it looks like a tic tac or something. But there's nothing there. He's gonna overdose on it. Never doubt the power of the press, Dursak. Dursak says it's my job, and he goes. And you do it better than anyone. He goes, I'm not so worried about the missile or the thermites or even the target. I'm worried about you, Nesbitt. I don't understand you. He goes, because I'm not for hire like faults here or some fuzzy cheeked terrorist with hate in his eyes. He goes, exactly. Your newspaper is creating the panic. How can you duck the blame? He goes, you're thinking the way it is in Bucharest where uh, here we have freedom of the press. I, I let the reporter take the heat. I back him to the hilt like any good publisher would. And I don't ask him to identify his source. You'd be amazed at what I can get away with. So messed up, especially in in terms of recent political atmosphere going on right now with, the, you know, the, the war with the press and, and fake news and all that stuff. It's interesting that there's always been, at least up during this time that this was filmed, there was such an integrity of the press that it was kind of, and actually in the script, it talks about that too. Amanda says it, that she was feeling guilty because Lee wants, wants later, obviously, wants her to infiltrate the, the newspaper. And she's like, that's kind of sacred. You don't just go in there and mess around. This is, this is the newspaper. It's, it's supposed to have this integrity and everything. So she even kind of acknowledges it in the script that you don't mess with the newspaper, but here Nesbitt is is doing it himself, you know, as the publisher, which is bonkers. No, I'm sure it happened more than we know, actually, about this type of thing with the newspapers, because, you know, maybe not as in our face as it is in today's day and age, but, I mean, it's a way to manipulate. It definitely is. I mean, you know, they used it during the war for propaganda and things like that, too. So it happens for sure. They are not above any anybody else. Oh, so then in the script, we get to another interesting. And this is just in the first couple pages, which is weird. Usually the the beginning of the scripts are always the same. They're pretty much verbatim what's filmed most times. Um, in this case, not so much. Uh, there's a stack of Washington. This is uh, the agency, Billy's office during the day. There's a stack of Washington Tribunes on the desk. Lee, Amanda, and Francine are scanning copies. Billy's on the phone, looking very pained. On one of the paper's front pages, we should uh, we should see headlines reading, Tritanium, SDI's Achilles heel, question mark. Billy into the phone says, no problem, Lester. Uh, let me get me 20 more bodies and a million dollar special projects allocation and we'll have it wrapped up by this afternoon, hanging up hard. The series, the Tribune's running on Tritanium is curdling cream at the White House. They want the leak plugged. 
Billy says. Lee says, anything to these articles? Francie says, yes and no. Tritanium is one of the most important strategic metals, very scarce, and the most essential ingredient in the next generation of Star Wars-related missiles. Billy says, it's so important the Department of Defense had kept a top-secret lid on it until Gunning's articles, that is. Francine says, unfortunately, they're accurate. Gunning's undisclosed sources knows what he's talking about. And then Billy says, except for the suggestion, we're experiencing a critical shortfall in our titanium reserves. According to a dozen experts, that's pure fantasy. Amanda, she says, maybe, but people believe what they read in the paper. No wonder the White House is concerned. And Billy says, the White House... CIA, NSA, FBI, and every organization in D.C. with more than two initials regards the paper. What I want to know is why the Tribune's the only paper on the Tritanium bandwagon. Lee says aggressive reporting, good sources, luck. Look at the way Watergate broke. Billy says, Francine, get started on a deep profile of this reporter gunning. I want to know what kind of dental floss he uses. Francine nods and exits. Billy turns to Lee, continuing, you still bend an elbow with that old war horse at the Trib? Lee says, Charlie Benton, now and then. Billy says, make it now. Pick his brain. Maybe he can shed some light on who's whispering in Gunning's ear. Amanda, you assist on this one. And then Amanda says, thank you, sir. I've had a lot of newspaper experience. I was a summer intern at the Roanoke Register, worked part-time at the Arlington Weekly when I was married. Billy holds up a manila folder, interrupts her with where you edited the op-ed page, wrote the social affairs column, and even sold some ads. A smile. We're very nosy. Off Amanda's surprised look and Lee's smile, we cut to the exterior Georgetown during the day. Lee and Amanda are walking arm in arm down the street toward one of the local watering holes. Amanda says that was a little spooky the way Billy rattled off all that stuff off about me. Lee says, get used to it. It comes with the territory. Amanda says, but if they can read us like an open book, how are we supposed to have a private life? Lee, smiling, says, we'll have to try harder, work around the clock. Amanda says, and that brings up something else. The agency knows more about us than we know about each other. That's weird. And Lee, laughing, says, I'm a spy. Part of me is classified. And Amanda says, then I want security clearance. People who are engaged shouldn't have secrets. Lee says, that's easier said than done. Amanda says, we could start small and work up. Lee says, I wouldn't know what, where to begin. And Amanda says, Sophia. <laughs> and Lee says, the Hungarian ballerina? Amanda, that was a sensitive case, national security sort of thing. Amanda says, Lee, I'm serious. We need to talk about these things. Put our cards on the table. Lee says, you don't play much poker, do you? Before Amanda has a chance to answer, they arrive at the bar. Lee ducks inside. Amanda follows. Amanda's voiceover says, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> So this is how, instead of how we get them at his apartment, that's how we get them started. One, that's how they meet. That's how Charlie Benton comes into play. That's how the newspaper piece comes into play. We we learn things all differently than we do in the actual film version. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then also how Lee and Amanda get in onto the topic of knowing all the different secrets about each other. I prefer what we got on film. Yeah, I do. Because I love that, you know, she's helping him go through all this stuff and he's got to account for everything. Like, like, what's this? Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get there right now. I like love that. Yeah. But this, but you can see what I'm talking about 
You can see what I'm talking about with the differences, though. I mean, it's like really completely different. So yeah. from the scene at the airport, we are now on the uh, from the interior of the air, airport. We're now on the exterior of the airport. And now we see who we will later learn is Charlie Benton from the Tribune uh, with a camera. He's there snooping around. He's definitely not the most uh, light on his feet kind of guy. Um, he's just kind of... <laughs> bumbling around and hitting things and you know tripping on things and so he's not super great uh, detective that's for sure no definitely not <laughs> now this airport is also used in a relative situation which is interesting because didn't you just say that a relative situation was the one that the writers also yes. wrote so yeah. it's kind of funny that they would use the same airport mm-hmm. i've actually been to that airport uh it's and we went right by there it's really cool it looks, and the inside looks just like it. It's all painted in different colors. All the walls are different colors, like really vivid colors. You wouldn't expect it to be what it is. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So Charlie's taking pictures of Nesbitt and Dursak. And Dursak and uh, Nesbitt come out and they they get into their different vehicles. Nesbitt's being chauffeured in a limo. And then Charlie <laughs> backs into a barrel and, and Faust comes out and sees him. So now he's on to him, which is not a good thing because we'll see him later too. Um, that guy reminds me of John Larroquette, didn't he? Jen, you know who I'm talking about, right? Um, the, the, the bad guy, uh, like the goon that comes out and sees Charlie. Yeah. I, he he kind of looks like uh, John Larroquette. Okay. Like a poor man's, ver- like a poor man's version. John Larroquette was the guy who was in um, Night Court, the, the jerky one. Yeah, maybe. He kind of looks like that to me. I knew, Lex, you wouldn't know who that one is, so I didn't even bother. Not a chance. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so now we get to the juicy scene that Lexi likes so much, and I do too, and I'm sure Jen does, Mm -hmm. where we're at Lee's apartment, and uh, we see Lee and Amanda's vehicles out front. I do, this is my favorite apartment of his. Mm -hmm. I like the first season, the first season apartment. Really? Okay. Um, hands down, hands down. Interesting. But I think this one and first, like season one, they're very similar. Like they're so, so similar. Yeah, the first season one, I hated the cold, sterile ones that he had in season two yeah, and three. I did not worse. like them. Season two was yeah. the absolute worst. Season three, I also didn't like. It had that weird step up thing with the, yes, with the French door. Yeah, the, yeah, I did not like, like that. Panel yes, door, right. Not it. Yeah, not, not a fan of those, but I do like this one. This one's a uh, more homey and it just has a warmer feeling. Even the first one had a warm, like a cozy, yeah, like cozy. And, like, yeah. The, like, yes. Yeah. It. His Ram's horn. Yeah. 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 Amanda says, you're never going to, going to clean anything out. If you don't throw anything away, when in doubt, throw it out. He goes, I will, I will. It's just that some of this has, it's been hard to part with. It's history. And she goes, look, you have to face the unknown. The unknown is scary, is always scary. You're afraid of change. And he goes, no, you're not. She goes, yes, you are. He goes, you've heard the saying, you've got to change to remain the same. I, th- I think change is very stimulating. She goes, when was the last time you ever changed anything? He goes, oh, look, this was a close one. And he puts his finger through his trench coat that's got a, a bullet hole right through it. He goes, this was close. Paris, 82, Chomsky, a freelancer for the Soviets. And she's just like, <laughs> she's not even listening. She just takes the white uh, blazer that he, she's got in his hand and it's got 
She pulls up the collar and she's like, this was a close one. This was a close one. <laughs> if you've all, I mean, I'm sure we've all had those conversations with our, our spouses or significant others of at one point and been like, so what's this story about, you know? <laughs> and they're like squirming, trying to like get around it. Like, oh. And he has more than the average. Yeah. Sure. He has more than a dozen of the average put together, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> yeah. This Running was a close it. win. What is this, Detson? Uh, could be blood. Could be? Uh, could be a smear from that uh, contact plastique that we've been using. Could be lipstick. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. it could be that too. Mm. Amanda, this mm-hmm. stuff has been crammed back in that closet for a long time. Mm-hmm. Years. Most of it is... Very pretty. Yeah. Uh, most of it is work-related. Then again, some of it is not. <laughs> but it is all history now. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're really curious, aren't you? No. Huh? No. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, you are. I've got the same itch. It's called mutual curiosity. And it's a very healthy thing. I do like her little outfit with the plaid and the um, pink, the real pale pink. I really like that. Mm -hmm. I just bought a flannel shirt. I put it on. I'm like, I look like a lumberjack. Like it has, and it's even pink. You know, it's even got pinks in it and stuff. I just, I'm not a flannel person. I... I think I'm Lee. I don't like flannel. I I like it. I think it's adorable. But I on me, I look like a lumberjack. Hmm. I don't. I imagine a lumberjack. That doesn't say. That doesn't track correctly. I don't know. I'll 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 show you. Uh, I'll show you, and and I think you will see that I am right. That it does not. Uh, some I think flannel's just not appropriate for some people, and I think I fall into that category. (laughs) Unfortunately, because I think it's cute. Are you buttoning it all the way up to your neck? Or no, ma'am. I had a I had a, a pink shell on underneath. Oh yeah, see, I think that's And cool. then I had it all opened, yeah. and it just does not look right. Well, if you do not feel comfortable in that sort of skin, yeah, then you just shouldn't wear it. Yeah, I'll have Lex. I'll have Lex uh, give me the thumbs up or down. I I can't imagine a flannel looking bad on anyone, but yeah, I used to wear it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, maybe it's just the color's not right or something. I'll I'll have you look and you tell me. Okay. You'll 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 be unbiased, right? Yes, I will be very okay. honest. All right. <laughs> She'll be like, if if Lexi will look at it and go, oh! if she goes up two octaves, I'll know it's really bad. She'll be like, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Little rats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking. I have it paused. At 514, what is that artwork on the, is that like a volcano? Like, what is that? Is that like topography or you know, something? When I, when I looked at it, I was like, huh, that's an interesting depiction of a lily pad. But now oh. you say volcano, I feel like that's more, much more accurate. Yeah, what is, yeah. it's like it's a road and, do you see what I'm talking about at 514? I do. Yeah, it's like I islands. Know. They're like islands and a volcano or something. It's like a raw shock test, and I'm like, people are like, "Oh, right. she's she's really messed up." Yeah, she's fired <laughs> up about something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's either that or some sort of planet thing. But yeah, I, at the surface of yeah, another Star Trek reference. Maybe it's a big yeah. Oh, like maybe. The, you know what? It kind of reminds me of um of Asgard a little bit. 
um, oh, I could see that. From Thor, you know, like with the, yeah. uh, the long strip. And then yeah, the where the gate, thing. the gatekeeper guy is at. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I could yeah. see that. I just, it looks like volcanoes there. Mm-hmm. But then there's that, yeah. something funky with the shadows. Yeah, that's pretty That neat. must be the, that must be like the boom mics or something that are causing it's, that. No, it's that window. He has like that window. Oh, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's exactly what that is. It's pretty good attention to detail. Like they had the lighting just right for that to make yeah. it authentic. That's true. true. That is true. Huh, I wonder what that is. It, it does look like a volcano. And road type thing. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but interesting. So anyways, Lee's scrambling. He's like, hey, you know what? This stuff has been crammed in the back of that closet for a long time. And and, and he's got his back to her. And as he's got his back to her, she's quickly and quietly slipping on that. Slipping on that pink silk night uh, silk robe. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were her. I know I would be like, I am not touching that. I was gonna say that's a pretty uh likely thing yes yes but he looks at her and he's like oh god like gosh dang it he's even like take that off quick because this probably is like this juxtaposition of like get that off (laughs) I don't want some horrid affair (laughs) crystal and yeah I don't want you associated she pulls it up and she's like she's like very pretty (laughs) and he's like he goes, yeah. He goes, and most of it's work related. And then, and then he's like, then again, some of it's not. <laughs> he goes, but it is all history. She goes, mm-hmm. Oh, I know. He goes, mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes, you're jealous. She's like, no. He goes, aha. Yes, you are. She goes, Lee. I'm, and he goes, I've got the same itch. It's called mutual curiosity, and it's very healthy thing. And they kiss. It's so. I love the looks they give each other. And she's just like shaking her head, like, uh. He buried that sucker. Though. I know. I, know he's just ashamed of it. He's I like, hope he's burying it and not like, I'm going to save this. <laughs> oh, no. That's not where I went with it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to get out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, so the phone's ringing, and this is Charlie Benton calling. And he's like, How you doing? I'm surprised he didn't say, Oh, Charlie saved my life. Because <laughs> everybody talks yeah, to him. And I love how she, he's watching her. He's trying to pay attention. And then she's reaching into pockets and she pulls out something. And he's like, oh God, this is going to come back and bite me. <laughs> and she gives him a look like, oh, we found something. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll see you there. And, he goes, and he's trying to continue the conversation. He's like, that was Charlie Bennett. <laughs> and he's like, of the telegram. And she's like, mm-hmm. He goes, I've worked with him a few times. He clears his throat and she's like, Cindy, with an eye. <laughs> he comes right at her. He's, he said he wanted to buy me a drink. And he comes over and takes the, the piece of paper from her and throws it nonchalantly into the fireplace. He goes, look, th- he didn't say I had to come alone. Why don't you come with me? You'd love Charlie. She's like, uh, no, no, I can finish up here. He's like, well, there's more jackets and suits in the closet. <laughs> she's like, you don't. You're worried. You're afraid I'm going to throw something out without asking you. Don't worry. I won't throw anything away. He goes, I know, I know. I know that. She goes, it's just that some of this stuff takes a little explaining. And she goes, you want to explain? I'll be happy to listen. (laughs) He goes, yeah, I thought you might. (laughs) I do like that fireplace. Mm -hmm. The mantle, that's really pretty. Yeah. 
I even like his hall tree. It's got a, like, this apartment has a very classic look to it. I'm not a fan of the color, that terracotta on the walls. It's a little dark. Yeah. I think they're trying to make it warm, but it got a little... It, it's a little too muddy looking to me, but uh, yeah. I... I it's nice. I don't see him having that painting, the one that's above the fireplace. That doesn't seem like a guy's I know, I artwork. Think it's, so it's very yeah, pretty. Oh, it's very pretty, but I just <laughs> I don't see him having that. Although maybe it's an Amanda touch. Yeah, maybe it came with the apartment. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And the sconces on the wall are kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. He goes, it's mostly habit, you know, just keeping secrets and stuff. And he goes, now I will tell you anything almost. <laughs> So if, is it going to be a great big difference if I just keep a few secrets? She goes, no, everybody's entitled to a few secrets and then puts his coat on. She goes, he goes, you can have as many as you want. She's like, mm. <laughs> and then he's like, thinks about it. How many do you want? She's like, aha. <laughs> and then shuts the door and I'm like, the tables have turned. <laughs> Although I can't imagine she has too many things <laughs> that he doesn't know about. Yeah, she won't. She better make them up. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to like. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to like make up some stuff and he'd be like, "What?" <laughs> he'd be like, "Oh yeah." yeah. Mm-hmm. I do really like that shirt though. It's really cute. The combo she has. Yeah. So now we're at Nedlinger's, which I think we saw Nedlinger's on our tour. We did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They had all those bushes. They were having like a garden party or something yes. there. Vines, lots of bushes Like hedges. Kids. Yeah, it was like yeah. hedges. Yeah, they were like hedges. Very clearly looked fake as hell in person, but on TV it's weird, you know? I was um, doing screen captures for, for Stemwinder 2 this past weekend, and I was looking at the wall, you know, the their hideout, the Vanderhoosen's hideout, yeah. and... Uh, the wall, the brick wall is clearly so fake. I mean, it's even, <laughs> even on the show, it looks fake, you know? So I can only imagine how fake it is in real life. This is kind of funny. I'm sure there's a lot of that if you just pay extra attention to. Mm-hmm. to yeah, you just have to get it. Yeah. Well, it. and you, you know, we have to remember back in the 80s and 90s, even, we didn't have the high definition that we have now, the 4K and 8K and all that that they have. We're seeing things a lot more clearly than we would have back then. Yeah. So now we're at, we've left uh, poor Lee. <laughs> Lee is uh, now out of the gri- grips of Amanda's uh, curiosity. And uh, we're at the, at Nedlinger's, at the uh, the bar at Nedlinger's. And Lee's playing the Liberty Bell. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've seen a lot of pinball machines. I've never seen that one before. It's very DC centric. That's for sure. Although Liberty Bell is in Philadelphia, isn't it? True. Yeah. But Uh, it's patriotic. Yeah. So we now, now we're getting to meet Charlie Benton. He's been in the newspaper business for 30 years. Lee kind of pokes a little fun at his age and he's like, yeah, that's pretty much before anybody else was born that this guy was working at the telegram. He goes, hey, those were the days when being a reporter meant something. And then do you guys recognize there's uh, John Larroquette Jr. sitting at the end of the bar. So he's followed Charlie Benton here and is listening to their whole conversation, which is not good for Charlie. And he mentions even Raul Nesbitt, which it's interesting. So Nesbitt, that white old, that old white dude, his, his name's Raul. He does not look like a Raul. Definitely not. Definitely not. And Raul doesn't really seem to go with 
Nesbitt. No, that's what I mean. It's like a. I mean, not that it can. Don't get me wrong, but. It looks like Raul, and Raul does not seem to go with Nesbitt. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of what we're used to. Obviously, he could have uh, two different ethnicity parents, I guess, right? Sure. That's totally up to it. So Faust is there, and he's totally listening to everything that's being said, which is not good. And he's saying, ever since Raul Nesbitt gobbled up the telegram, we've been running more fashion hints and foo-foo recipes in a day than all the hard news we print in a month. It's not such a bad deal. He owns a lot of papers throughout the country, Lee says. Radio stations, TV stations, all over the world. He goes, I mean, he buys them and brings them in in hired guns, like Gary Gunning, who write, who write first, ask questions later. They're destroying the news business. I can't just sit back. You've been following the Gunning series, and he throws over the newspaper, and, and Lee's like reading it. This is what they were talking about in the beginning of the script, where we, when I was reading about uh, how they, they had the newspaper and they were reading it then. This is the first time he's hearing about it now. And this is, we're eight and a half minutes in already. He goes, now, you know, the next generation, that's Jen and I, that's you and I, uh, of SDI weapons is totally dependent on titanium. And we, we don't have enough. He goes, I've been in this business long enough. I can smell news before it happens. Gunning scoop isn't worth spit. He goes, so it's a bad story. It's an awful story. Nesbitt's been pushing it full blown, giving gunning carte blanche, quoting unnamed sources close to the White House. It's garbage. Lee says, I believe the president used the same words in his speech today. Their little outfits are really short. Really The waitresses. Mm-hmm. I was noticing that. Yeah. This is like Hooters before Hooters. Now whispers are starting again. Whitewash, Stonewall. This isn't the Peoria Prairie Telegram. This is the Washington Telegram. It stands for something, or at least it used to. And then he throws the pictures of that he just took of Nesbitt and Dursak. And he says, this is a company he's been keeping. Emil Dursak, Romanian Secret Service. He goes, of course, there could be a perfectly logical reasons why. He goes, many perfectly dirty reasons why. He goes, Charlie, why are you telling me all this, huh? This isn't your style. I mean, what's the angle here? He goes, well, I figured maybe you could scratch each, we could scratch each other's back. He goes, how? He goes, there's something rotten at the telegram and I want the story. And I've got a hunch you're going to want it too. I'm in real tight with Gladys and personnel. We could work something out, get you on the inside. And then somebody calls for Benton and he says, I'll be right back. So Faust is definitely listening to everything that's being said. And then Charlie has to go over and poke the bear and he, he asks uh, Gunning. He's like, cheap thrills, that's all it is. He goes, yeah, well, at least I've got some bullets in my gun. Look at the front page of the telegram. I see my name, but I don't see yours. He goes, yeah, well, you'll see it. I've got a story that'll knock your crony Nesbit out of the water. He goes, yeah, sure. He goes, whatever you say. And then Charlie's upset and then he kicks the chair and it knocks this other guy's uh, chair. So he, he gets up and he's mad. And Lee's like, all right, trying to diffuse it, trying to get him to calm down. He's like, come on, sit down. He goes, I'm sorry. And then he goes, no, no, the guy insulted me. I want him to apologize. And he goes, how about instead? And he goes to hit Charlie. And then Lee pulls his arm back and then throws another punch at the other guy who's coming to help him. And he goes, that's not nice. (laughs) And then, of course, the fight happens. And then the police come in. And then Lee's like, great. A new coat. We didn't mention Lee's new coat. Another, yet another one. one. This one's darker suede, but darker. Suede, yeah. 
And then Faust goes over to the phone and he's like, it's Faust. I'm with Benton. What do you need? Nesbitt says, I'm about to meet with Eldridge. It's you, Charlie. So she obviously knows. <laughs> she just wants to pat down Lee. You know that. She made a beeline right for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be like, you sure you don't have any guns in here? Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. cops are pretty quick. Like, everyone's up, so they're there. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. When you need them, they're never there. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, I'm about to meet with Eldridge. And Faust says, he's showing some snapshots. They may be from the airport. He goes, could you see the pictures? He goes, enough to know we could be in trouble. He goes, I was hoping we could let this that sleeping dog lie, but use your own judgment. He's like, right. So, like, kill him if you have to. <laughs> In the script, as I mentioned, it's it's definitely different. Amanda actually goes and meets with Charlie. And so Amanda's there, and they had that conversation about Sophia. Almost empty, we find Lee and Amanda sitting at a table with Charlie Benton. He's in his mid-50s, crusty and loud. He's talking primarily to Amanda. What a description, crusty and loud. <laughs> crusty and loud. And, and perfect, perfect... Uh, casting because he is it's perfect (laughs) description of this guy ben says 30 years in the newspaper business cut my teeth running hot copy hot coffee and racing form up and down five flights of stairs in the old trib building covered my first story lee and benton say finished the, the line and said the fire at the men's underwear factory ben says when i was 17 had my own byline to Lee, he says, don't be a smartass, Stetson. I knew you when you still had short hair and a clip-on tie. To Amanda, he says, just started in the movie business. Movie, quote, movie business. Thought film stock was something you made soup from. My guess is he still does. You film too, Miss, Mrs. Kink? And Amanda says, yes, sir. This is my first year full time. Lee tosses one of the pap- papers on the table near Benton. Lee says, the Tritanium story, your paper's running. Wondered if you knew anything about it or this guy Gunning who wrote it. Benton dismisses the paper with a wave. Gary Gunning's a clone of Raul Nesbitt. They're two peas in a pod. And Amanda says, Raul Nesbitt, the man who owns the Tribune? And Benton says, that and 47 other newspapers. He buys them, guts them, and brings in punks like Gunning who write first and ask questions later. Lee says, the Titanium stories are awful sexy, Charlie. Classified information, highly placed, informed sources, Titanium shortfalls. Benton says, I don't trust it. I would have heard about a story this hot in D.C. Somehow, someway. But nothing. Ever since Gunning broke it, I've had my glass to lots of walls and still haven't gotten one person to corroborate it. Uh, Amanda says, Gunning's informed source seems to know what he's talking about. Benton says, you picked that up in the film business, Mrs. King? Look, I've trusted my gut for 30 years. This story's giving me indigestion. And Lee says, maybe we can find a remedy. And Benton says, you were looking in my direction when you said we. You've got to be kidding. And Benton gets up to leave, gathering his papers. Amanda says, Mr. Benton, if your guts are right about these stories, your paper could look awfully silly. And Benton says, lady, the Tribune publishes more recipes, fashion hints, hairstyles, cartoons, and restaurant guides in one day than all the hard news they run in a month. It already looks stupid as hell. (laughs) Wow, he really is crusty. Amanda says, maybe you can't do anything about the fluff, but you can affect the news. You're a reporter. That hits Charlie between the eyes. Benton says, just for the sake of this ridiculous and off-the-record discussion, what do you want? Lee says, the same thing you do, the truth. If we had someone inside the Tribune to keep an eye on gunning, off Benton's look, he goes, and no, I don't mean you. Benton says, one of your trench coats over my dead body. 
Lee says, Charlie, I'm talking about a fly on the wall, eyes and ears only, a totally hands-off situation. Benton says, a guy wearing dark glasses and cheap cordovans, I don't know what that is, who can't spell, he'd be made in a second. Lee says, what about a woman? No shades, no cordovans, and she's got a lot of practical newspaper experience. Both Amanda and Benton react. Before they can respond, Lee says, there are lots of other ways to skin that particular cat. Charlie, this one might be the most pleasant and discreet. It's worth a try. Benton stares at Lee hard for a moment. Benton says, maybe. I'm still a reporter, though. We don't drink out of the same side of the trough. He starts to leave, but turns to Lee and Amanda. But if Mrs. King applied for the office assistant's job I'm posting today, I'd look at her resume. And then we cut to the next part. And then this is funny because Amanda says, this is says, we pick up Lee and Amanda as they're leaving the bar where they've been talking with Charlie Benton. Amanda says, well, the least you could have done was ask how I felt about it. Lee says, I was selling Charlie a delicate proposition. I couldn't let anything spook him. Amanda says, delicate proposition. You were talking about putting a spy inside the Tribune intensely and you were volunteering me. You said you wanted to do more. She goes, I do, but being an agency spy inside a newspaper isn't what I had in mind. I mean, we shouldn't be there, should we? What about constitutional rights, freedom of the press? Amanda, I'm not asking you to sabotage computers or destroy presses. All I want you to do is keep your eyes and ears open and see what you can find out about Gunning and his source. She says, Lee, I grew up believing newspapers were sort of, I don't know, sacred, that we had to protect them at all costs. I still believe that. They arrive at the, at the parked Corvette. Lee says, so do I. Look, someone is abusing the Tribune by getting those bogus stories printed. The best way we can protect the paper is by finding out who's doing it and why. Amanda considers Lee's right reasoning as he continues. If we can do that, we can have the government hounds who would use a lot heavier hand to squash the Tribune's stories. Off her look, he says, it happens. The CIA shut down a story one of the networks was breaking not long ago for national security reasons. Tritanium's just as hot. Amanda thinks finally and nods. Okay, I'll do it. Off a beat. But Lee, what if our sources are wrong or lying? What then? Lee doesn't respond, but the look on his face tells tells us that he doesn't like to even consider the possibility. Isn't that diff- It's a lot different. But you see what I'm talking about where she's saying about the integrity of the newspaper and how it's, you know, got to be kept pristine yeah I, I don't think i ever grew up with the impression that it was sacrosanct see we d- i did i don't know about you jen but i definitely grew up that way there were stories about the first amendment and all that people keeping people were going to prison not to prison people were going to jail for contempt because they wouldn't give their sources and things like that i remember that very distinctly uh you know when i was in high school and such hmm. Yeah, I don't, I can't think of a specific instance where I, like, grew up with that happening real time. Well, you're also, you also grew up in a time where the newspaper was, you, you were growing up as it was going out of style, you know, and nowadays, rare, rarely do you see anybody reading a paper anymore, or definitely not getting it delivered. They pretty much beg you, they'll pay you practically to, to get a, um, subscription, yeah. Which is sad, you know. Lexi, I, I'm i old enough to remember recruiting using newspaper. I would create newspaper ads and design them, like little pictures and design them and try and get, you know, taglines and things like that. Dog. Yeah. 
You call me a dog? Like, it did require you to no. mince your materials a lot more, whether that was a source which would be protected or yeah. you know, some other reference. And now I don't think that's the case. It's kind of sad. You yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah, look at the National Enquirer. <laughs> yeah. Inquiring yeah. minds don't want to know. <laughs> I just think we should go back to a time where they're reading online or newspapers where if people are going to say certain things, they have to support it. Yeah, they have to prove it. They just say yeah. stuff. Right. I do know what Amanda was referring to. I I think it definitely has left in the past 20 plus years. It's definitely gone away from that. Yeah, it's gone off the it's gone off the rails for sure, but that but I know what she's talking about and it was that sacrosanct. There's a lot of changes, so I'm trying to give like cuz I think in the script they really do fill in a lot of the holes that we don't get to get filled in watching the episode you know so I think it helps you understand a bit more about the story and why they're doing it and and why they're fighting it you know trying to to figure it out now this is where I mentioned earlier where Eldridge is coming out of a a building and Nesbitt meets up with him and and he's like I want out of this Nesbitt you promised it would only be a few contacts with gunning so you can gather that Eldridge is the fake source and he's giving misinformation and he's obviously not wanting to do it. He probably did it for money. He's also doing it because whatever's on that tape, he doesn't want anybody else to know about. Right. So Nesbitt's just a real bad guy. And he's like, you're pushing me too far. The guy hands him a Walkman and he's, and he's like, oh, great. <laughs> we have the videotape to go along with that. So it's obviously, I think it's a sexy tape. What do you guys think? Probably. Probably. He's a guy. He's a guy. And he's a guy. So it's probably some sexual thing that he wasn't supposed to be getting into. And he did. Not that all men do that. But I'm just saying. Paper publisher. So he probably has some story or picture that he could publish. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yep. He's like, it's all yours. If you keep playing along. Just as promised within the week. He goes, but I've told him all I know. He goes, it's time to start getting creative. He's like, that's your script. But be convincing, doctor. A lot depends on your performance. So now Lee and Charlie are coming down. They're on the WB lot. And he goes, do you know every cop in town, Charlie? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, one way or the other. (laughs) So Lee pulls over and he's dropping him Charlie off. He goes, I wouldn't be surprised if that fight was a setup to take me out. He goes, a setup. Come on. You started it and you know it. He goes, ever since I've been poking into this Nesbit story, someone's been on my butt. Yeah, I can feel it. So then as he says that we see Fouts pull up, he's like, come on, single malt whiskey in the cupboard. He goes, no, I can't do it this time. He goes, I will deliver your message to my people. And until then, I swear to God, if this is off the record, you got that? He goes, got it. He goes, you don't breathe a word of it either. He goes, okay, just come on. So he finally talks him into having a drink. They get out of their vehicle and Charlie's doors open, much to Lee's dismay in a minute. Uh, and Faust comes barreling down the the sidewalk, which I don't know how he even gets in there. The but car. Also, why wouldn't, why wouldn't they just have had him on the other side of the street? Yeah. That would have been so much more believable for it to be like maybe an accent or like literally yeah it's a good point what was the creative decision like dennis what the fuck were you thinking <laughs> <laughs> director, 
Yeah, that's a tight squeeze there. It was definitely a tight squeeze. And there could be an innocent bystander on the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, I don't think Faust seems like to to be the guy that really cares about those innocent bystanders. But, yeah. Probably not. But still. So he barrels down the sidewalk and... (laughs) It's funny, Lee's like trying to grab Charlie, who's like probably 100 pounds heavier than than Bruce. And he's like trying to grab him and gets him across the hood just in time. Because then that car comes barreling through and takes Lee's uh, passenger door right off. Poor Corvette. Poor Corvette. And Lee gets up and he, it's like the first thing he does is check his baby. And he like looks and he's like, gosh, dang it. Like took the door right off. And of course, those cops just show up right then. Yeah, I don't understand this scene either because he seems to get in trouble with these cops, and it wasn't his fault. This was—he was attacked. They were attacked. So why is he getting? Edwards does not seem very happy, (laughs) and Lee throws up his arms like, "Ah, great, here we go." Help him out. That's what you're there for. Yeah. So now we're back at the agency, and Lee's getting a lecture about uh, disturbing the peace, assault, destroying personal property, not to mention six different municipal code violations. You've had quite a day. He goes, it's all in the report. I'm about to file, Billy. I don't like his uh, his jacket. Yeah, I was going to say, when I was watching this, I knew you were going to hate it, Taya. Did you, do you like it? I kind of like the vibe, like how it's a little bit pattern mixing with the stripes, with the, with the striped shirt and like the dots. Oh, I'm talking about the actual coat. No, I know. Okay. I kind of like it. Do you? I can see why, but it just looks like there's a bunch of lint on it. Yes. 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 I do like, if it was solid black, I would like it with the, the black and white and then the, the tie. I would like that. I just, it looks like it's got. Like it went through and, and touched my cat. <laughs> you know what, Jen? Now I see what you're saying. Like, I, I, was yeah, seeing, I, I was seeing more like abstract, like polka yeah. dots and like masculine. But now that you said it looks like there's a bunch it, of... Because it looks like text. it's texture. It's textured, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's I like the I black. Like a, like a buco, like buco, buckle fabric. You know, B-O-U-C-L-E, however you pronounce that. Oh, I don't know. I'm... You're more into the fabrics. I don't know all the fabric stuff. I think if they had, like, accentuated the pattern more, I think mm-hmm. it would be fine. But instead, it just looked like this fuzzy. Yeah, it looks, it looks, around. it's the texture. I think it's the combination of the texture and then they're all, like, all over the place. I just, I don't know. Not, yeah, I uh, not a big fan. It's like, like, that guy's always like, oh, he had some like, oh, no, it's It's, it's Scarecrow Mrs. Yeah. King. But there's a movie like that, too. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lint picker is needed here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was the European episode. He was an Earl. Yeah. Oh. The times they are changing. Yeah. The times they are changing. Yeah. I'll get my lint roller out. He would go crazy with that. <laughs> but I do like the black. I like the sharpness of the black. And I like the pin, the stripe of the shirt and the tie. I do. I just, I would rather it be a black, solid black uh, coat. I see what you're saying. Though. Yeah, yeah. I got it. But Amanda's sweater. I yes. Let's I'm talk about this. Swipe it right from her, and I just want to put it on my body. I like, oh. I like the tweed um, skirt with it too, mm-hmm. and I love the sweater, and I love her hair up like that. I think it looks really yeah. cute. She looks great. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of uh, Francine's. It makes her look chunky in the tummy. 
and chunky, I mean like, you know, extra five pounds or something. She's so thin, but, but I mean, it just, it does, it doesn't, it's not very flattering. At 1510, if you look at it. I do like the color. Yeah, the I color's nice because really it brings out her blue. Double yeah. Like so low. Yeah. Yeah. But, like but her hair is cute too there. It looks yeah. nice. I like the v-neck and the strong colors. Yeah, I, I like all that. I just don't like the double-breasted part, like Lexi mentioned, where it's kind of going across, right across her tummy. Yeah. That's a dangerous thing. Like, I could wear that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. All of us with our boobs. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Popping out. <laughs> Popping everywhere. Lee's getting a swift talking to, even though I think Billy just does it because he's feeling obliged to. Because he knows in the line of duty, things like that pop up and you're going to have to deal with it. You know what I mean? It's not like he, he knows he's not a carousing, especially now. I mean, if this was season one, Lee, sure, maybe he caused a bar fight, right? But he just, he's just not that. But it also implies that he got trouble uh, for the car accident part. And right. I don't think that was his fault. That's what I mean. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Although this is um, at 1510, you can totally see that really cool map, that artwork map I like. And over his shoulder is your uh, world globe thing from, uh, yeah. who is it? C. Gier? C. Yeah, C. Gier. However you pronounce it, yes. Yeah. Which we've learned is very expensive. <laughs> I'm going to add it. Now that, now that you've confirmed it for me, I'm going to add it to my vintage shopping list. All right. 20 years to Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm still looking, so. <laughs> He goes, did you have time to read the paper between crime sprees? <laughs> right. That's so funny. He goes, I read the articles. She goes, why is the telegram the only one with the story? He goes, Charlie Benton says this guy Gunning is a hotshot reporter who hasn't gotten his facts straight. Look at these. And then he shows them the pictures of Nesbitt and Dursak together. So they all know it, it's Emil Dursak. He goes, what's the publisher of the telegram with doing with Emil Dursak? He tells uh, Francine to pull the files. If Dursak is involved, he goes, he's never been cozy with the intelligence community before. He goes, okay, I want you both to work the telegram. Be discreet and be careful. She goes, yes, sir. No more arrests. Understood? He goes, yes. And then he kind of gives him a look like, yeah, you. <laughs> and then they, they, they're up at, in the Q Bureau and he's like, Billy was going to throw the book at me and I walk it out, out of that office smelling like a rose. <laughs> She's like, Yep. <laughs> He goes, then he, then he turns to the serious side. So I think this is, this scene's really cute. He's like, Amanda, I've been thinking. And he grabs a file and puts it behind his back about what we were talking about earlier. She's like, yeah. He goes, and I've decided. No secrets. Good plan. Hmm. Now you're really on to something. Who's Jim Saarinen? Um, Hilton Head, 1976. I haven't got a clue. I just, uh, you know what? I think I'm developing a sort of a um, selective memory or something. Yeah, you know, I had that same kind of memory with the Petrovich twins. I don't know what a couple of tumblers from the Moscow Circus have to do with... Jim Saarinen? Who? The Petrovich twins were a little tiny chapter in my past that I would have rather kept secret, but no, you <laughs> had to read the report, remember? Oh, God, I remember? I... Gee, I... Yeah, I, yes, I do. Mm. Yes, I do remember that. Mm -hmm. I do. I got to admit it. I do. Uh -huh. I remember and that. since there were no little goodies in your past that usually come up under the line of duty, I thought that the Jim Saarinen file would make a fair trade. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of like, you know, trade baseball cards. Huh? You know, I'll give you two Mickey Mantles for a Whitey Four. Yeah, we'll swap secrets, you know. Tell everything, lay it all out on the line, huh? Yeah, I'll go second. Let's flip a coin. Right. Call. Oh, no, 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 no you don't. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I found profile on Nesbitt. Billy thought you might need it. Don't even bother to explain. It'll only make it worse. Amanda, Get come on, this is not I'm fair. I'm a woman. I, I flip. You know, go ahead and call it like a man. Tails. Heads. Oh. Start talking. So how many of us believe that that was really, <laughs> that she called that accurately? Um, after what he just put her through, <laughs> she can say whatever she wants. Okay, so I definitely want to talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. In 1976, Amanda was married to Joe. So who the F is Jim Saarinen? Oh, she was no, she didn't get divorced until 1981. So she was definitely married and had babies then. Well, it must have been a report or something filed if he's able to get information. Right? Yeah. So it was 1976. So that would mean that Jamie, I think, according to that, then Jamie would have been like one. I'm pretty sure if I'm, I, I could be off a year or so, but because... I think he was born in 75 and because uh, Philip was born the same year I was born. Technically, uh, he he was born in 72. I think it was supposed to be before she was married. Yeah. Even though they had the time wrong. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not. So <laughs> well, what yeah. what is that about? <laughs> she was, she was uh, <laughs> a quarter life Quarter life, yeah. I don't think they'd have actually ever have an affair or something, so. No, not at yeah. all. But it's it's interesting. You got to wonder what that is because she's like, who, um, what? I don't, mm, what? <laughs> Trying to not to remember, pretend that she didn't remember what he's talking about. They did make an effort to race Amanda up a little bit, though, and have something in her past because, like you said earlier, she Yeah, <laughs> it would have been pretty boring. Like, what's he going <laughs> to? Yeah. yeah, exactly. We have to figure out something. She she used uh, expired coupons. Ooh, you know. <laughs> Before Lee came around. I mean, I don't doubt that she had probably, she's too sassy to have had a boring teenage years. You know what I mean? So I can imagine that. But like when she was married, she's too wholesome to be doing anything raunchy with, you know, being married. Maybe with, right. maybe with Joe she did, but I mean, behind closed doors. I don't see her being was, anything. Was Joe supposedly traveling while they were still married or he did that after they got divorced? No, they were. No, I think canon is that he was traveling so much and he wanted to. He was hardly ever home. So <gasps> Lexi, I saw that look. You're thinking bad thoughts. I mean, maybe like maybe they were. This is Amanda. You're thinking they had an open relationship? Maybe. Oh, my gosh. Know. Shut like, up. But maybe this is like, the 80s. You know. Yeah, yeah. This I think I get. I agree with that. Lexi, I think you need to write that fan fiction. Amanda is a swinger. <laughs> you would get hate mail. You would get so much hate mail. Just 
wholesome rule follower. Yes, yes. Um, and I, she was probably like that when she, she was before she was married too. Um, although they're trying to spice up a little here, but mm-hmm. but yes, like see, I believe that stuff did happen, but there's no way they ever imply that as part of their episode. <laughs> 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 no, this is. This is simply me speculating on the information I have available. In her brain. <laughs> to get a future. Right? Like, where's my mind going? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the film version, we have uh, Nesbitt and, and Dursacker together, and he gives them the article, and he says, there's been a huge response to this article. Uh, 29 newspapers, including Evestivia, they quoted, people like to believe the worst about Washington. He goes, any re- official rebuttal? He goes, Dan Pratt from the White House press office called. I told him that we'd be glad to print any an eyewitness verification of the Tritanium. Did he agree to it? He almost choked on it. But the seed has been planted. Eldridge and his union of concerned scientists is going over there this afternoon to ask for a look for themselves. It's getting a bit warm for the Oval Office. Even in so... Is it enough to breach their own security? So what they're trying to do there, this is a complete scheme to get them to say, okay, well, if you don't have a shortage, let us in, let, let some eyewitnesses in to see it because they want to be able to pinpoint exactly where it's at so that they can have that missile go and hit that target and annihilate that, that stockpile that they do have. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. He goes, if it's good for PR, they love PR over there. Anyway, nobody should be concerned about tritanium. There's hundreds of tons of it. They want people to know. We still have Benton to worry about since Faust was not successful. Once is an accident, twice is murder. I'm calling him off. And he says, Eldridge is our only exposure. By the way, in this scene, they're standing like right under a palm tree. And then a palm tree is off to Nesbitt's, off Nesbitt's shoulder. I think this is on the WB lot as well. I recognize all that wood. There's, um, it's on, I know it's on the left hand side when you're going into to to the lot. I'm pretty sure that's what that's from. Yeah, it totally, that's definitely on the lot. But anyway, no one, nobody should be concerned about tritanium. There's hundreds of tons of it in the ground. They want people to know. We still have Benton to worry about since Faust was not successful. Once is an accident, twice is murder. I'm calling him off. And Nesbitt says, Eldridge is our only exposure. Once he's made his impassioned plea for an inspection, he's history. Your stomach is not strong enough for this kind of work. hmm?" And then he keeps popping him. He goes, you, you've given me a great deal to worry about. I'm used to working behind the scenes. But you, he goes, I am a courageous publisher, thumbing my nose at Big Brother. I'll be a popular hero. There isn't anything to connect us to the Tritanium once we blow it up. So now we're at Amanda's house. And they're having a Sunday. The last couple episodes, I've noticed that Philip isn't around. It's all Jamie. Yeah. I wonder what was going on about that. Something. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe they remember. Yeah. No, they don't. That's the problem. They don't remember. (laughs) They only remember like certain things, but very little about uh, the actual episodes. But yeah, it's interesting. So Amanda and Dottie are talking and... Jamie is stuffing his face with a hot fudge sundae. (laughs) Yeah. Dottie's telling her about how she and Jamie were uh, uh, trying to uh, make sure that she got connected with this, this bachelor at the supermarket. And Dottie says, we needed skim milk. He needed sour cream. It was serendipity. (laughs) And Jamie goes, it was a pickup. (laughs) 
naughty. Yeah, really. She's got one on tap and one in reserve. <laughs> I know, right? She's a player. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe Amanda was going to rescue her mom from like some crazy situation. See, you can write a story about that, miss. Well, Daddy says the cart traffic was as bad as Georgetown at rush hour. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you should have seen her drive. It was like Andretti. We turned the corner and there he was thumping cantaloupes. He smiled. I smiled back. Then we headed him off in the dairy products. Mother. Well, we need skim milk and he needed sour cream. It was serendipity. He goes, it was a pickup. We met. It doesn't matter how. <laughs> and she's like, he gave me his number. She goes, you're not going to call him. She goes, no, of course not. I, I took his number. I mean, if things don't work out with Captain Kurt. She goes, mother, you don't know anything about him. She goes, I do too. He lives in Georgetown. He's a CPA. He loves dogs. And Amanda looks at him. She goes, kibble in the cart. <laughs> so in the script, it's the conversation's a little different. She says, kibble in the cart doesn't tell you what kind of a person he is. Dottie says, it's, it's a start. How much do you know about that man you see? Stedman or Stetson or whatever the mystery man's name is. Amanda says, it's Stetson and we work together. And as a matter of fact, I know a lot about him. Dottie says, enough? She goes, what's enough? And Dottie says, aha, there. If you knew, then you wouldn't ask. Your father had an old trunk he kept up in the attic. When we first got married, I was dying to get inside, but I resisted the temptation for nearly 30 years. Finally got tired of respecting his privacy and broke into it one Sunday. And Amanda says, and? She goes, don't try and figure out men out, darling. They they make better mysteries. Checking around. She goes, I've got to run. Amanda says, mother, where are you going? She goes, that's one of my secrets. Don't wait up. <laughs> kind of cute. Amanda and Lee are both at the paper and Amanda's pushing a cart and comes up to Lee who's selling sandwiches out of a cooler. <laughs> that doesn't seem uh, kind of gross. <laughs> no. And a BLT nonetheless. Yeah, with and mayo and stuff. Like, yeah, like, like tuna. Tuna? Ooh, no. Chicken salad. Oh, no, no, thank you. So uh, Lee tells her that he's picking her up on all floors. So he can hear her. Um, they can't talk. They can't interchange, but she can talk to him. Um, and then I think that's an Orioles hat, Baltimore Orioles. So... Makes sense. Um, she's like, thank you. See you later. He's like, mm-hmm. So Gunning and and Benton have conversation. Benton's trying to get the scoop on, on things and figure out, like, how he's getting all this information. He's like, buy a paper, all right? He doesn't like getting questioned. He goes, it's all in there. He goes, I read the story, but I still want some hard news, some facts. He goes, you want facts, Charlie? Okay, I've got a front page seven-part series. You're, you've got zip. That's a fact. I'm producing. You're not. That's a fact. I'm good. I work hard. And you're jealous. Those are all facts. So then he turns because he's he's like this young whippersnapper. He's all cocky and everything. And he thinks Benton's like old news and literally old news and, and uh, putting him out to pasture kind of thing. Obviously, we know he doesn't know anything that's going on. He's being fed this story. He doesn't know all the things that are going in the background, that it's a fake story. Um, but he's sh certainly very cocky and he's he's his head's overblown a bit for sure. You know, his ego is taking taking quite a, a spin. And then he turns around and bumps into Amanda and he's like, oh, excuse me. And then he's like kind of flirting. He's like, do I know you? She's like, Amanda King, I'm a temp office assistant. You look familiar. She's like, oh, you've probably just seen me around. 
And uh, he's like, research, I could use, he's like, I could use you, all of you, part-time. Yeah, I bet you, little creeper. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells her to meet him uh, in his office in 15 minutes. So, he and then she walks away. They both walk away, and then Benton's there, and he's like, damn, kid thinks he owns the place. (laughs) They reuse, I feel like, quite a few locations in this episode, like the the airport, and now this. Mm -hmm. This was that episode with that pretty lady who died. And then she used, like, Amanda's name, remember? Oh, yeah. She jumped off the roof. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in uh, You Only Die Twice. Maybe, yes. No, not maybe. It is. Maybe. I'm saying maybe in my mind. I'm not questioning. <laughs> oh. <people. laughs> yeah. Like, I'm saying, like, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll make that real clear. Like, maybe, like, this, brain, you're I saying this is the same building? building? I feel like it. Remember, like, it had, like, that orange look to it when she was... Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that this episode? I feel like this is really familiar. It is familiar. I don't know if, if it is, but it does look like it. You're right. With like the machines and the the. Watch I just remember that. I remember that god awful wall. It's not important. I was just. Um, Lexi's. Oh, that back wall, that orange back wall. There you're saying. That, that gotcha. Wall. Oh, it could be. When is that in season three, Taya? Uh, season two. So Amanda is uh, dropping off the research files for gunning and so she's in his office and the phone rings. So she picks it up naturally and uh, takes a message. Oh, it is. Look at you. It definitely looks like I could it. not forget that wall. That wall is just like ingrained in my brain. Interesting. Especially yeah. With, like the blue equipment. You're right. It is. Wall. It's the same. It's the same, uh, same floor, same, same uh, set they used. Or yeah, location. Yeah. Yep. A good eye. That was a really good eye. Thanks. Yeah. A man takes a call and it's from somebody who called themselves Prometheus. That doesn't sound nefarious or anything, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Suspicious about that. Uh, what was it? Deep throat? Was it deep throat from? No, it was. <laughs> that was the name that they had from. Um, yeah. From uh, Watergate. Yeah. It was. She thought I was saying something dotty, but it was. That was the. That was a source that Bob Woodward and uh, who is it? Woodward and Bernstein. That is. That, what would possess them to, to have their source Yeah, like that is just. It was before all the naughty stuff came into yeah. play. I think. Yeah. Let's keep this sophisticated. <laughs> How come Lexi's mind goes all to the dirty stuff, like, within seconds? Listen, you hear the phrase deep throat, and you don't go, like, to the sexual connotation of it. You did it in a sentence for me, because only sentence I've heard that phrase used in the sexual one. Okay? And then I'm going to rest my case on but it was deep throat. And then I thought, oh, am I being dirty? And then I'm like, no, that was really deep throat. That was the, that they named it, the, the source. So Prometheus is the, the source, most likely, right? It's Eldridge. And she takes a message. And then right when she hangs up, Gunning comes in. And she's like, oh, hello, Mr. Gunning. Here's the research that you wanted. And you just got a call, phone call from a Mr. Prometheus. He said there was no message. He goes, oh, good, great, thanks. Uh, I've got to go. <laughs> We'll jump on that microfish stuff later, okay? And then he leaves. So 
that was obviously his source who wants to meet. And so she takes out her mic and like talking, you know, he's probably like, dang girl, because she talks right into the mic. So it's going to be like super loud. (laughs) She tells Lee that he just got a call from Mr. Prometheus and uh, just took off. So Lee follows him. And of course, as soon as he leaves, Benton's right behind him. He's going to follow him as well, which is going to prove not so good for him later. Spoiler alert. He's going to get shot. So Gunning's got a cute little, uh, what is that? Like an MG? I, I want one of those. It's cute. Well they actually yeah, it's cute though. So they're in a parking lot. There's a doodle bug in there too. Now Gunning comes in and then Charlie, Lee comes in after him and then Charlie comes in as well. So Lee's getting up closer so he, he can hear what's going on. And so now we see Gunning meeting with Eldridge. And he says, Eldridge, what's going on? He goes, I had to talk to you. He goes, what's going on? You never call me at the office. He goes, this will be our last meeting. He goes, why? We're about to pry the lid right off this thing. What I'm giving you, it'll blow all the way off. And then Charlie comes in. Lee's taking little pictures with his little tiny spy camera. He goes, it's an official security council report on the state of our titanium reserves. He goes, pretty low. He goes, totally empty. So you're saying someone is stealing the titanium? He goes, that's what I hear, but I'm checking it out. Is the president aware of this? I don't see how he can help it. And he gives him the information. He's obviously feeling BS that Nesbitt wants him to to, to get. Boy, this parking lot is packed full because now Eldridge and, and Gunning are leaving. And Lee's in there. Charlie's in there. And now Faust is in there as well. And Charlie's taking pictures and not doing a very good job hiding by any stretch of the imagination. And he sets off a car alarm and Faust has his gun and he's going to shoot Charlie. Lee gets him to yell, yells at him to, to get down and then knock and then shoots at him and, and kills him. So Charlie got shot in the leg and Lee made sure that Charlie was okay. And then he went over to check the, the gunman Fouts, who uh, didn't survive. Is that blood? I actually think there's blood there. Wow. Or is that just a button? Oh, no. Yeah, it's blood. It's not very much blood. For someone who's dead, there's not very much, but he shot him straight in the chest. So I guess that would do it. So we're at the agency and Lee is giving, uh, giving uh, Billy the scoop of what's going on. Billy says, when it rains, it pours. One minute we got zip. The next minute my desk is overflowing. How's Benton? He's, he said a leg wound, lost, lost a lot of blood. He sent Amanda over to talk to him and they're trying to keep uh, the shooting quiet as long as they can. He's going to have a few days of sick leave. They bought him about 24 hours. They misfiled the death certificate on the gunman. And uh, they do a lot of that. Last uh, time they did that too, they misfiled <laughs> so that uh, they could, uh, for uh, the man who died twice, so that they could keep everything yeah. under wraps for a little while. Right. That's an interesting delay tactic. <laughs> oh yeah. So they've ID'd the, the gunman. It was Derek Fouts. He's the shopkeeper is what he's referred to. Part-time mercenary, full-time merchant of everything the wrong people shouldn't have. You've got that right. He goes, why was he in the parking lot shooting at Benton? She goes, we've ID'd him from his tag number, the the car from the tag number. It's Dr. Eldridge, science advisor to the White House and architect of our strategic metals program. Bingo. Bring him in, Francine. Eldridge's housekeeper found uh, him dead. Yeah, so he had an overdose of his heart medication. Probably after his meeting, they're checking his prescription. Huh, what a coincidence. I wonder if that was, you know, legit. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I 
wonder. He goes, what the hell do we have here? News conglomerates, dead mercenaries. Why is the president's own science advisor lying to the press? He's got to be gunning source. He'd know better than anyone if our titanium was secure. Okay, Lex, what do you think about her silky galaxy looking shirt? It's like Paisley's. Um, I don't love Paisley print as a rule. I the remember. Colors the colors, the color, I'm not a Paisley person either. However, the colors, the colors are really pretty. Yeah, they do. With so Even though he's in a sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. I think it looks okay. And I like her. Are they purple pants? Because they look like purple pants. That's are they? I, I thought they were. I thought it was a long pencil skirt. Whatever it is, I like the bottom for sure. And I like the way it looks with the top. Like it yeah. Looks tailored. It looks way better than her first outfit. Like yes. Yes. Well, Agreed. Well. Agreed. And I don't mind Lee's outfit. We didn't talk about it, but he fills out a pair of jeans pretty nice. Yes, so. he does. And they're not the dad jeans, so they, they look nice. <laughs> Billy's telling them that the bad guys finally got what they wanted, right? They, they're finally going to have a, an inspection to prove that there's the titanium's there and we're not low on it or anything like that. He goes, there's your why, Billy. If Nesbitt is trying to find out where the titanium stash is, we just cooked up a good way to get to it. Yeah, that's a skirt. She's wearing a skirt. It's a pencil skirt. They just showed the back of her. They won't even know where they are. He wants Lee to conduct the tour. If they're trying to find out where the stash is, he he just cooked up a good way to do it. We can't prove that, Scarecrow. They're going out there on the blind. They won't even know where they're at. He goes, all right. So we pick them up. He goes, and start squeezing them right away. And he goes, then they'll start screaming about violating their constitutional rights. The only way to handle this is to put them under surveillance until we bring, we have cause. As soon as the uh, inspection is completed, we're taking, yeah, the only thing redeeming in that shirt is the colors. Now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> they had a close up. Melrose here. Yes, Dr. Smith. Ugh. You could tell Francine's like, a, she's like, oh God, it's Dr. Smith. <laughs> He goes, yes, sir, I'll be right up. And he says, the latest telegram story just broke the camel's back. The president is sending in an inspection team to the, to the titanium site. Oh, 600 hours tomorrow. We are in charge of security. I want you to conduct the tour. He goes, there's your why, Billy. If Nesbitt is trying to find out our titanium stash, he just cooked up a good way to do it. We can't prove that, Scarecrow. They're going to be out there on blind. They won't even know where they are. He goes, all right, then we pick up Gunning and Nesbitt. And start squeezing them right away. He goes, then they'll start screaming that they're, we're violating their constitutional rights. He goes, no. The only way to handle this is to put them under surveillance until we can bring cause. I mean it. As soon as inspection is completed, we're taking the titanium to a backup site. And then he shoes them off. So in the script, I was going to mention this. I forgot. Amanda also is on site at that the car garage where they had all the shooting and everything. Uh, and then she gets kind of knocked around and shaken up. And he's like, Amanda, Amanda, are you okay? And a beat and then thoroughly shaken Amanda steps from her cover. Hold holds hold on her and Leah's he rushes to her side. So she was supposed to be there too, but she wasn't. And then also in the script, in that last scene that we just talked about, uh, when they go to leave Billy's office, Lee stops. Francine continues out the door and Billy says, What? Lee turns to, to Billy, he says, You really think it's a good idea to keep Amanda at the that paper? And Billy says, why not? It's the best seat in the house right now. And her cover is still intact. Off Lee's look, he says, what's the problem? Amanda's experienced enough to take care of herself out there. She's not the same Mrs. King you bumped into at the train station three years ago. Lee shoots Billy a quick look. What's he know? 
Uh, Lee says, no, no, she sure isn't. He goes, so is this concern professional or personal? And Lee says, professional, totally. Lee turns and exits off Billy's look. They cut to the next scene. It's interesting. Billy's calling him out like, are you worried because you're her boyfriend? Or are you worried because you're, she's your colleague? <laughs> yeah. I think he knows the answer. Mm. Oh, he totally knows that's the answer. And that's why he's asking it. <laughs> it was cute. So now we're in the film version. We're back uh, at the airport uh, at the hangar. And Nesbitt's saying, why hasn't uh, Fouts checked in yet? So because they still don't know that he's been shot and killed. He goes, he's a total professional. You sure the transmitter's working? He goes, I exchanged the glasses with gunning myself. That bug is so accurate, we can fire our missile from over the horizon and fly it right up on his nose if we want to. All we need is a target. He goes, have I ever disappointed you, Emil? He goes, of course not. Your papers are some of the best weapons the Warsaw Pact has in the free world. I am Romanian. We have to fret. He goes, I'm an American. We're born optimists. American born. It puzzles me. Why would I sabotage my own country, you mean? It's not common for, yep, this is your part. He goes, I'll tell you what's got your stomach in knots. We're partners and you don't know how to, to, to read me. He goes, you're taking all the risks. I wouldn't even need a partner. This is important because we got to give Lexi her plot. Yep. I need to know the true motivation. The true motivation. Beyond money. Yes. He goes, it's not common for a wealthy man. He goes, I'll tell you what's got your stomach in a knot. We're partners and you don't know how to trust me. You're taking all the risks and you don't need our money. I wouldn't even need a partner if you didn't have the missile. Don't you understand? I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for myself and for my country. It's that important to you? All this SDI technology will do is throw off the balance of terror. Mm Mm-hmm. What did I say? You did. They should have moved this up, though. Rub my nose in it. They Gosh, they I said I was wrong. Well, they should have had this at the beginning or something. I'm telling you, this whole thing's like totally out of whack on things. Mm-hmm. Explains why he's doing it. Yeah, he wants to throw off the balance of terror. Take away the tritanium and we're back to the same old ugly standoff. Your country could have supremacy. He goes, supremacy for what? A first strike? I don't care what they call me. Some people will call you a maniac. A world balanced on the point of a spear is better than no world at all. Oh, interesting. He goes, besides, I'm a newspaper man. It makes for good, it makes good copy. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. He'd rather have it balanced on a tip of a spear than not have no world at all. Yeah, he's almost afraid of like peace in a way, even though the reason there would be is because we have this threat. Mm-hmm. He, wants, he wants there to be conflict. Yeah. Well, he w- doesn't want anybody to have, like, be supreme. Yeah. And to me, it seems like he's trying to, like, it's almost a little bit altruistic. Like, he's... Balancing like, the scales. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. keeping everyone on the same, or getting everyone on the same level. Yeah. Well, Leveling the playing field. Yeah. I guess. But and I still don't understand that as a motivation. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, he well, doesn't seem yeah. the altruistic well, type. <laughs> yeah. The whole, the whole point of everything we built during the Cold War, all the underground missile silos and nuclear threat, was just that, a threat. Like, okay, you guys can... We have this now. Yep, so off, it's... Yep. So I'll be dead. Yep. So it was all, all to sort of make it so people were not firing random, you know, nuclear or other missiles. Right. Um, 
So to take that, this is the same thing. It's just Star Wars is more sophisticated. So to take that away, I guess it would be fair if the Russians had the same technology, I guess, to balance it out. But even so, mm-hmm. I don't think America is using it to, well, It was more for protection, people. not for yeah. threatening. Yeah. So it is weird that he's just like, you know, wanting to take that away. So we're more, I don't know. I think there'd be more conflict and potential for more um, violence if we didn't have... If we didn't have that threat, because we're not going to use it unless we have a good reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lee is now at the newspaper and he's kind of sneaking into a private area. He kind of looks around and then he like pulls out this little uh, contraption out of his jeans and then sneaks in. So he he's gotten into Raul Nesbitt's office and he's just doing some snooping to see what he can find. He found a safe immediately, of course. It's like he can smell smell where they are. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if those little contraptions actually work. He's got it so it knows it finds where the little clicks, clicks are <laughs> to break into the safe. He got in pretty quick, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And then he found some files. That's all that's in there is just some files. Gunning Eldridge meetings. So he's got everything laid out exactly when he met with him. How would he know that unless he was feeding them? You know, he's got that cute little camera. Mm-hmm. High tech, man. <laughs> so now he's back at the agency and it's nighttime uh, and they're up at the Q Bureau and him and Amanda are going through what he found. And he said, I found 15 dossiers on the kind of people who make the headlines, all of them filled with dirt. Did you find anything in Nesbitt's office on Dr. Eldridge? He goes, well, it's obvious Nesbitt was blackmailing the guy. He goes, oh, look at this. There's a lot more log meetings. And uh, he brings one over to her and says, it actually looks like Nesbitt knew the time and the place that Gunning and Eldridge met, almost like he planned it. She's like, can we stop the, you know, the inspection with this? He goes, I doubt it. Oh, so it's not even nighttime. It's morning. It's like five in the morning. Man, they look good for staying up all night, don't they? It's amazing how how they look. (laughs) They're trying to figure out a way to stop this because they don't want those people being in there because they know they're up to some some bad shit, <laughs> but they, they don't have enough. They just have, you know, circumstantial evidence. So they have to keep looking. So now they're, they're on the tour. Lee's leading it. Remember? And he's saying that at this level, they're 140 feet underground. He was sorry about the inconvenience, but security is the top priority. This location of the site is top secret. So they got them there without them knowing where they were at. And a bunch of suits are coming in. One of them being gunning. They're scanning everybody to make sure nobody has anything and bringing in anything they shouldn't be. And so then we shoot back really clo- quickly to uh, the airport, the hangar, and those the guys in the hazmat suits are in there. And uh, they are messing with some pretty scary stuff, it looks like, um, that they don't want to be exposed to. We know now, but and Dursak mentioned it, that he swapped out the gunning's glasses so they have a transmitter in his glasses and they're doing a sweep so that they can avoid the security checks and they're trying to pinpoint where that missile where where that stockpile is so that they can send that missile in and blow the whole thing up so from the transmitter within they can do it within 200 yards so as soon as they get the warheads changed they can go so they know exactly where it's at now which is not good and so now they've done a few tests and they've shown them like, yeah, here, this is, this is tritanium. See, we have a lot of it. And, uh, they've done five random samples of the material. Each is approximately 98.3% fine tritanium. And she goes, I'm satisfied. And he's gunning is like, 
wait a minute. <laughs> he goes, wait, 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 just a minute. He goes, there's got to be some sort of mistake. Either that or you rigged this. He goes, Mr. Gunning, would you please? He goes, with all this, test some more. He goes, I have an impeccable source, an advisor to the president who says the tritanium is gone. He goes, you had a source and he wasn't so impeccable. Dr. Eldridge is dead yesterday. And he's like, oh, he goes, and murder isn't out of question, out of the question. So then the, the MPs come in and they, they said they just, they've been tracking uh, this burst of, of energy coming through and they've finally been able to pinpoint it. It took them long enough, didn't it? Sure did. And Lee's like, but the question is, are you in on this with Nesbitt or are you just another one of his stooges? So they've been getting half these every two minutes or so they're getting these bursts and they were able to triangulate it. And so he's like, hey, I get it. You're going to you're going to shoot me and and say I was doing something bad. You know, it's a setup. Lee's finally figured out. He goes, he is Mr. Gunning here has a radio on him somewhere. A sophisticated job that we almost missed. Even the x-rays and metal detectors couldn't catch it. And then Lee finally figures it out. It's in his glasses. And he takes them off. He's like, hey, wait a minute. And then he pulls it off. He goes, I'm talking about a homing device. So in the script, they actually, he mentions that he just picked up new glasses that day. Or the night before or something like that. He's, He's definitely, like Lee said, he's a stooge. He doesn't know that he's, he's not part of it, which is one good thing. He's just an idiot. You know, his, he got, he let his ego get to him, you know, to get the better of him for sure. Now they know where the tritanium is. So now they really have to find that missile because they know where it is. And now they could, they're at, they're at risk. It's at risk. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm invoking a a national security leak. The lid is on. He goes, come on gunning. (laughs) He goes, I kept this thing going until we were, uh, well into dc to keep the suspicion down he goes i don't mind i don't care if he's mining gold in the yukon (laughs) billy he's so funny nesbitt is supposedly on a tour checking on his canadian papers how convenient you can change a lot of minds with blackmail and a world news syndicate by the look on his face i don't think gunning had any idea francine how's evacuation coming she goes oh slow but we've got 500 special forces surrounding the site Okay, I like her outfit there. That champagne colored shirt with the black and white. See, that black and white looks good. It doesn't look like lint. (laughs) It's the texture. It was the texture of that other one, I think. But I do like her hair there. I didn't like it until Jen said. Jen, you ruined it for her. Sorry, Lexi. No, I mean. I would have worn something like that. It would have looked like freaking lint. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you wouldn't have worn that. You wouldn't have worn that. Maybe. Maybe. You wouldn't have. It's just fuzzy. It's kind of like lint. Well, I mean, like lint. I, I would come to work with like animal fur all over me. I don't give a crap about anything. You know, like I was, I just. You always look nice. Stop. Me. Like, I'm just not bothered by it. But now those were big chunks. <laughs> I, li- I do yeah. like her, uh her hair there and her outfit's cute Mm -hmm. i think it's they're both nice yeah i like the the champagne colored shirt too underneath it the silky Mm -hmm. the silky one yeah yeah billy always in his gray suits Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's always got the funniest little analogies he's like i mean grabbing the free world's entire supply it makes the brinks job look like stealing a nickel out of your mother's purse (laughs) you you want to take this one and see what you can do with it, Amanda, and you can uh, what you and Amanda can do with it. He goes, can I have my office back, please? He just is so mean to her. I know. Yeah. She drops the glasses and runs. <laughs> she kind of gives him a look like, well, 
Dursak and Nesbitt are talking. Uh, he's saying, why do you have to do the, the target yourself? And he goes, well, my, my pilot is off with my other plane, you know, making it look like he's somewhere else, giving him an alibi. And then Dursak says, are you sure one missile can do it? He goes, clean enough. Nice solution, I think. The thermite burns into the tunnels, liquefies the metal, and the plutonium irradi- irradiates every last ounce of, the tri- of their tritanium for 20,000 years. I think that should be effective. Cripple the American Star Wars defense. Don't you? Man. Yeah, but aren't they going to kill? Aren't they going to kill people when they do that? I mean, it's going to blow up that site. There's people there. I guess they're casualty yeah, of war. I don't think that whole thing is plausible. No? Okay. I, I wasn't sure. Building into a basement is one thing. Like, hundreds of feet below ground having a bomb penetrate effectively and starting a fire to burn it up. I don't think so. Yeah, because he said 207 feet, right? Below yeah. ground. That's deep, so. Yeah. yeah. You gotta go back to planet Argyle or whatever <laughs> to get more. <laughs> nice. Way to come Argus. around. Argus X. I love it. That's hilarious. She said it so professionally. <laughs> Argus, you said it so like matter of factly, you know, like they're gonna have to go back to planet Argus (laughs) X. (laughs) Captain Kirk. This time they'll need Captain Kirk, not Captain Kirk. So now Amanda and Lee are back up in the cube bureau, and Amanda's, you know, looking at the the pictures that Lee was able to um, to pull from his office. And he's like, hey, did you see this? Now, it says, Lear, you guys want to follow where I'm at too because you'll want to see this. Hold on. We are at 3724-ish. So Amanda's saying, look at this in Ned's, Nesbitt's calendar. And then Lear 24, remove tanks. It's real little in the bottom left. And then right then we see a picture of what she's looking at. That's Kate's handwriting. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. And she loves those blue pens. Yeah. And that's her handwriting. And you can see her, her, her lines there. It says, did you note this on Nesbitt's calendar? (laughs) That's so funny. And it's, I, I don't get it because all the things that we've heard and, and Greg, confirmed too that she knew all the lines she even knew everybody else's lines why would she need to have notes on and i know actors do this they leave little notes everywhere you know they leave their little their lines in different places on the set so they they can remember them but i just it i don't get it because it's complete opposite of what we've been told about her is that she always remembers everybody's lines let alone hers Yeah. And I mean, usually they do these close up things with, with, you know, when the actors, the true actors aren't even there. Right. So why would they, it just seems weird that they would use that. And it's clearly on there. Did you know this is on Nesbitt's calendar? That's her lines. This has happened multiple times. Yeah. I think my theory is that the producer is somebody who needed a shot of something that you're saying and just, and just did it and didn't think anybody and would see didn't, it. She didn't even know about it until 
then they probably didn't think that, you know, 35, almost 40 years later, that a bunch of weird girls would be uh, <laughs> pausing their their uh, DVDs or their iPads or anything to check all this stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I guess, no forethought there. <laughs> but it's cute. I That's multiple times we've seen that now. So he's like, it's the kind of plane he'd own. These photos were taken at Telegram's hangers. He goes, yeah, let me call Charlie and see. Do you like her sweater? I'm not a big fan of the color peach. What do you guys think? Um, I mean, it looks soft, and I like that it has like shiny sequins, maybe like interwoven on it. Mm-hmm. But I like that other cream sweater better. I, I like yeah. I, I'm not a peach I fan. I've never been a peach fan. It's, I think it's because it's too close to yellow. <laughs> yeah, peach is, peach is uh, rough. It can be, you know, not look good. Yeah, just depending on your skin tone. I like peach, but I don't like um, how we were talking about earlier, Lee's apartment color, that terracotta. I don't like terracotta. Yeah. But, like peach, but you like the, the peach I peach? Like the peach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Not on me, unfortunately. It doesn't look great. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Who doesn't look good on besides Kate? Like, I don't know anybody that looks good in peach. Any color. Any color. I know, it's She's weird. Yeah. There's only a few I colors I can wear. <laughs> Most of them are the jewel tones. Yes. Yeah. So Lee's finding out from Charlie that Nesbitt owns two. He owns a Lear jet and a Gulfstream. And one of them's out on the Canadian trip, right? Leaves the other one at the hangar. So they're going to go check that out, which is great because that's exactly where they're at. And uh, Lee's like, guess what? He owns two planes, a Lear and a Gulfstream. He's going to fly across Canada. Why is he removing the tanks? He's like, I don't know. So he calls the air traffic control and says he wants to know the flight plan active for Raul Nesbitt. He goes for either a Learjet or a Gulfstream. He's like, thank you very much. Gulfstream left for Toronto this morning, but the Lear is still here in DC and Nesbitt is rated to fly both of them. So they're going to go check it out. Did you guys notice the yellow flowers on her desk? I didn't. How sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then her skirt's an even darker peach color. It's like a corally mm-hmm. color. That one I don't mind. It's that light pastel peach that I'm not a big fan of. Oh, it's sweet. They hold hands. Yeah. I like that. So they're sneaking up and he goes, Charlie's photos are right on. Let's go inside. He got that car door fixed pretty darn quick. Yeah, he did. Well, he probably had the agent, somebody at the agency do it. But yeah, how do you get that part in? They must just have extra parts for his his vehicle. Right. <laughs> that door's here. <laughs> So they sneak in because they hear somebody coming out the door and they sneak into the hangar. And, oh, look, the little blue men with the little outfits are in there. (laughs) This was interesting. (laughs) And it's a little different in the script, but they're watching the the guys and she's looking at the plane. She goes, yes, short range air to surface designed for the F4. Obsolete. Studied it in hardware. (laughs) He looks at her like, damn, how'd you know all that? So they call it a slingshot, but in the script, it was called... Like a Red Baron plane they've got there. They're sitting over. Yeah, that, that, they're, that they're hiding behind. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. Yeah, they call it a slingshot, but in the script, they call it a lancer. Short range, surface to surface, off Lee's look. She says, we covered it in, in hardware. Obsolete. He goes, yeah, the Air Force dumped our lancers into the, in the 70s all over the world. That's not carrying the normals cyclonite warhead though it's been modified so they call it a slingshot in the episode but in the script it's called a lancer which ironically is billy's code name it's been modified thermite those guys are wearing 
uh, the the um, gear for radiation protection. So he says the shopkeeper was supposed to have some plutonium. They burn it down. The plutonium will be useless and radioactive for the next 300 generations. Nuclear warheads? He goes, well, nuclear, yes, but not the not a fission weapon. The shopkeeper was supposed to have some plutonium. They burned down to the tritanium. The plutonium will be useless and radioactive for the next 300 generations. He goes, watch my back. I know they've got a fix, but we've got to be positive. Right, careful. So they're pulling the, the plane out of the hangar so that Nesbitt can, can fly and, and go take care of the tritanium. So Amanda's watching Lee skirt around there and be sneaky around there. I wonder what they have under that all those black tarps. They're trying to hide something. <laughs> this is funny when he's like looking at the the uh, the flight plan and everything on the table, and then they come through, and they're like, "Hey, who are you?" And he's like, <laughs> he's like, "Uh oh." And he goes, "Turn around." Well, everything seems to be in order. Excellent. <laughs> and they're all like, "Huh?" He goes, "Who are you?" I'm the with the FAA. I was making a spot check here, and believe me, gentlemen, I intend to file a, file a glowing report. Search him, and then they find the gun on him. <laughs> what kind of uh, spot check are you doing with the gun, there, buddy? Right. Check outside to make sure he's alone. Tie him up. Ooh, kinky, aren't they? Mm-hmm. He doesn't even try to check his way out of it. Yeah. He doesn't. He just like okay, put the cuffs. Yeah, on. he's just like on. well. Uh, I mean, what are you gonna do when you have a I gun? Know. No, I know. Just usually he would say something. Yeah. Well, they're uh, clearly not buying his story. <laughs> so they take off and then Lisey's and Amanda's back there and he gives her a nod. Oh, that guy doesn't know what he's in for. So she grabs yeah. uh, something, one of the tools uh, from the chest there, a wrench, and then uh, throws it on the f- over in the area. And then he turns around and then Lee kicks him. <laughs> the gun goes off and then he kicks him again. And Amanda grabs the gun and then gets the uh, ropes off of him. Oh, that guy's going to die. Oh, yep. Lee's killed two now in one episode. (laughs) (laughs) So then they take off uh, and and chase after uh, Nesbitt in the plane. I always love this this part. And she's like, he's like, get on the phone and get us some backup. And then they are going after the plane to get in front of it so they can't take off. And, uh... Kate's always been brilliant at this with her voice cracking and at the most proper times, you know? What are we going to do if we catch him? One thing at a time. What are we going to do if he lets that missile loose? And, and right when she says that missile loose, it goes off. And he gives her a look like, not now. <laughs> Before we get to the end, there was a couple things that were a little different in the script. So Lee wasn't at the underground, that garage until the very end but amanda heard the voice of the source and she 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 didn't know she recognized it but she didn't know who it was and so lee enters with amanda he's studying some paperwork lee says i tracked your our shooter's itinerary over the last couple of years in every country in which Fouts appeared one of nesbitt's papers was stirring the political fires amanda says he stirs them with a pretty big stick Lee says, what else do you remember about the this guy with Nesbitt? And Amanda says, the limp and the voice. I'm sure it was the same voice, Lee, and, and the limp. Gunning Source is a big wig scientist with the access to the president. 
And Amanda says, and he's rubbing elbows with Nesbitt, who has a reputation for muckraking, character assassination, and stirring every political pot he can get a stick into. Amanda says, the man I saw with Nesbitt as our only lead. Amanda says, there's got to be a record in this office and I can get us up there. I know the elevator code. Lee says, we'll go tonight. She says, I'm free. Lee smiles at Amanda. There's a beat. Then Lee says, I've been thinking about what you said about putting our cards on the table. I think it's a pretty good idea. Amanda says, me too. It'll bring us a lot closer. Lee nods, takes a folder from his desk. Good. So who's the, who's this Jim Saarinen guy? Off Amanda's look. He goes, Hilton Head, 1976. Amanda grabs the folder, scans it. What were you doing with my background file? I wrote that for the review board. That's for their eyes only. He goes, you've read most of my case reports. She goes, Jim Saarinen's different. Lee says, not any different than Sophia. Seems like a fair trade. Amanda says, we're not swapping baseball cards. He says, no, we're getting closer. A silent beat then. She goes, you go first. It was, he goes, it was your idea. You go first. She goes, let's flip a coin. Lee takes a coin out, flips it. Lee says, call it. Amanda says, heads. Lee misses the coin. It hits the floor and both Lee and Amanda are on their hands and knees looking for it. There's a knock on the door and Francine breezes in and Lee and Amanda struggle to climb up to their feet. Without reacting, she tosses a folder on the desk. We've got a scoop. Faust was being paid through a dummy corporation uh, chartered in Singapore. We're not sure, but it looks like the paper trail could lead back to Nesbitt. Not even a beat. She says, don't even try and explain. It'll only make it worse. And then we go from there. So kind of a mix of what we got. Kind of a mix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She doesn't react as much in that about about Jim, Jim Sheridan as she did in the episode that we mm-hmm. that we actually saw. There was another scene where they actually, they have like a few, they've narrowed it down to a few scientists that it could be. And so they call them and Amanda talks to them and she's listening to the voice to see who it is. And the first one, it, it couldn't be them. The second one, it wasn't them. And then the third one, she's like, that's the voice. <laughs> like she recognized it and th- then they figured out who it was. That's how they figured that one out. So, and then also Nesbitt fired Benton too. And Amanda says, why'd Nesbitt fire you? And he says, the article I wrote challenging gunning story, the one you took up to his office cut too close to the, to the bone. Angrily. He says, it's not over though. I've got some pictures I took yesterday. That'll bring Nesbitt to his knees, kicks the door and they're inside. Damn it. She, Amanda says, pictures of what? He goes, forget it, lady. This one's mine. Charlie, the tritanium's more than a story. It's a matter of national security. He goes, that's a hell of a story. Amanda says, not without those pictures, and I can get that door open. Charlie looks at Amanda, smiles respectfully. He goes, sure. Show a little leg to one of the guards. Crook your finger toward my empty office. She goes, I've got a better idea. Amanda glances around, pulls out a pick, and goes to work. Benton watches, fascinated and impressed. In a matter of seconds, the door is open. They slip inside. Wow, he would totally dis, you know, underestimate Miss Amanda King. Mm-hmm. Silly, silly, silly man. So when they were at the airport, under the cover of some brush, Lee and Amanda scope the warehouse. Nesbitt and Dursak's cars, among others, are parked in front of the warehouse. The sliding doors in the front are partially open. There isn't a guard in sight. Lee says, Nesbitt and Dursak are there. I'm going to have a look. Amanda says, let's go. Off his look, she says, and no, I'm not staying here. He goes, it could be tricky. She goes, what isn't? Are you worried about something special? He goes, you. 
She goes, professionally or personally? And Lee says, why does everyone keep asking me that? So now the plane is heading down the runway and Lee and Amanda are flying on the, in the Corvette trying to chase them. And Lee finally gets in front of them and then makes them stop. So they, they can't go any for, further. And then Nesbitt's saying, I don't have enough airspeed to, to get off the ground. So they have to, he has to stop. Busted. And they, he goes to open the door and then Lee takes that automatic weapon and shoots some bullets up in the air. And they're like, okay, you know what? You know, instead, I think we'll stay inside. Good decision. Which I don't think you're supposed to just like shoot out. I mean, those bullets have to land somewhere. That's pretty dangerous. Amanda says, what now? He goes, now we sit back and wait for the cavalry. And she's like, okay. <laughs> All right. So now we have the tag. This is mm, kind of boring, I think, but we're back at Nedlinger's and um, those skimpy little outfits <laughs> and Amanda and Lee and Charlie are in a booth and he says, I've never written a story that pleased me more. An editor I knew used to say newsmen make lousy news stories, but I guess they never knew Nesbitt. Sure beats old bits and high school basketball. And then Lisa sure does. And so he's like, thanks, both of you. Like she's an afterthought. He goes, well, see you, Charlie. He goes, yeah. Oh, congratulations. And he's like, on what? He goes, I'm a reporter. I've got a keen sense for big stories. Aw, he knows about them. And then she sighs and that's it. I like that she's wearing pants here. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could see her wear pants more often. Just cute little. Yeah. Yeah. Like the slacks. Yeah. Yeah. She wears jeans a lot, but she doesn't wear slacks all that much. Yeah. I don't like the sweater vest that she's wearing, though. Not a fan. Yeah. Yeah, just the pants. Yeah, just the pants. Just the pants. So in the script, it's a little different, obviously. As a Corvette races toward the missile, a a perimeter guard sees him coming, gets ready to fire. He's got Lee in his sights until Amanda steps up behind him and pops him a good one with the butt of the Uzi. She grimaces as he goes down like a sack of potatoes. Racing toward the missile, Lee hits the brakes, slides into a skid, and sideswipes the launcher, knocking it over. He spins in the dirt, heads back toward the truck. Nesbitt, out of the truck, sees what happened. Nesbitt says, don't fire. The launcher's on its side. It'll explode right underneath us. Nesbitt turns and races for his car. Bates emerges, gun in hand, and looks for Lee, who's leaping out of the Corvette and running after Nesbitt. Suddenly, there's a burst of automatic fire. Bates turns, shocked to find Amanda with the Uzi trained on him. Amanda says, drop the gun and hit the floor, now. Bates does so, the technician joins him. In a foot race with Nesbitt, who reaches the car, jumps inside the fire and fires it up. Before he's able to take off, though, Lee's on him, pulling him out of the, out of the car. A fierce fight ensues, but Lee finally gets the upper hand and puts Nesbitt down with a crushing right to the jaw. He turns and races back to the truck where Amanda still got Bates and the technician under guard. Lee runs up. You okay? Couldn't be better. She hands him the Uzi, clearly a little uncomfortable with it. Amanda says, there, now I'm perfect. Those things scare me. Off Lee's smile, we fade out. And then Benton's hangout. We find Lee and Amanda and Charlie sitting at a table, a copy of the Tribune in front of them. Charlie's beaming. The headlines read, Tritanium hoax uncovered, publisher arrested. Benton says, I've never written a story that pleased me more. More important, they unlock the door to my office. To Amanda, he says, officially, that is. Smiling. I like working regular. 
Thanks to both of you. He shakes hands with Lee, gives Amanda a peck, starts to leave, turns back to them. Oh, by the way, congratulations on what? Come on, I'm a reporter. I've got a sixth sense for big stories. With a smile, he's gone. Lee and Amanda exchange a smile. There's a beat. Lee says, shall we? She says, okay. With that, they both pull out envelopes, exchange them. Lee hefts his, feeling the weight. Pretty heavy. Must be a lot here. She says, yours too. Should, should make interesting reading. Lee says, standard stuff, really. She says, mine too. Boring. Not the kind of autobiography that would sell many books. Both Lee and Amanda look at the envelopes they've given the other, clearly wishing they hadn't. Lee says, you know, I think autobiographies are dying, a dying literary form. Amanda says, you do? He says, yeah, for me at least. I really prefer a good mystery. She says, me too. There's something about not knowing exactly what's going on. He goes, there's a beat. Then Lee smiles. Shall we? And Amanda says, I'd love to. They both pick up their envelopes and simultaneously tear them in half. As they do, we freeze fame out. So they decided not to share all the little tidbits of their relation, past relationships, I guess, in the, that version. That's... It's a little more interesting than what we actually got. I mean, what we got was kind of yeah. ho-hum. I, I like the idea, though, that in the film version that they, like, we're left thinking that they are being, you know, like, they're being cute about it, but they're, like, sharing their past, you know, like, that's, right. nothing is off limits, as it, I don't think it really should be, but, yeah, anyway, I think not, not if limits. you're in a, that, that committed right. of a relationship, right, right, it was cute, though, it was better than her just sighing, and then the ending, I thought that was kind of, right. it kind of lackluster. It's time for Dottie's bookshelf, and Dottie has pulled together a couple of fanfic recommendations that tie into the episode. Her first recommendation is called His Secret is Out of the Bag by BB Fan in February 2001, with a little over 1,200 words. This is a continuation of the episode, and Amanda's found something interesting while cleaning Lee's bedroom. Dottie's second recommendation is called The Hilton Head Affair, written by Micro Dottie in January 2008, with about 7,000 words. Who was this Jim fellow? And what was Amanda doing with him when she was clearly still married to Joe King? As always, we'll provide links to these stories on our website at mkcpodcast.com in the show notes, but you can also find them on fanfiction.net. Mrs. Markson was so happy to receive a new letter in her mailbox from Kathy D. She says, Dear Mrs. Marston, I've noticed Miranda Thomas has been missing from the podcast lately. Is she on a no contact mission? I miss her. We miss her too. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for reaching out about it. We'll definitely make sure to let Miranda know that her presence is greatly missed and we miss her as well. She is currently on a zero contact mission, so to speak, just for fun. But in all seriousness, she has taken a bit of a backseat in terms of recording the podcast and being involved uh, at the forefront. However, she is still our go-to for all of our IT needs. She supports us in making sure that our links work, the back end side and like hosting the website and making sure that everything runs efficiently so that you, our listeners, can actually hear and engage in the podcast. So um, Randa is still around. She's just, again, taking more um, of a backseat role and we will be sure to share the feedback though that you are or that she is missed. So thanks again, Kathy, for your comment. And if anyone else would like to share a comment or um, reach out to us, you can definitely do so via our website on the contact form at mkcpodcast.com. And you can reach out to us via email as well at 
mrskingschronicles at gmail.com. Okay, so it's time to pull out some videos from the video vault that we reflect need to know. The first two videos we selected were created by Love SNK. The first is based on the song Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. And there's some great action shots in this episode, and it's great to celebrate that with a nice compilation of these shots set to some great 80s music like Eye of the Tiger. So we hope you enjoy that one. And the second one uses the song Jealousy by Will Young to bring out all the times Lee was jealous. Albeit in this episode, there is a lot of fun banter back and forth between the two of them, some sherry and perhaps some jealous moments. But this is a great song and a great video compilation, so thank you, uh, Love SNK. And the one thing we didn't talk about with this episode is the title, Need to Know. I take it that was uh, directed towards Lee and Amanda in a way, like that they need to know about each other. So given the title, we thought we would throw in a little reminder that all we need to know in life we might have learned watching SNK. In this video, some of our favorite clips are set to the music of a string quartet, which was put together by Taya, or TJSNK LBR. That's a cute one. You know, as we get in this late stage of season four, it's good to sort of remind ourselves of all those cute, some of those early clips and all the fun through the season. So we thought we'd throw that in there, give it the title. And as always, you can find these videos by just searching YouTube. We've also provided links on our website at mkcpodcast.com in the show notes section. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll be back next time for our revised ordered Any Number Can Play. Until then, bye. 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 bye.